You are listening to Marquette University's COVID Convos podcast. In each episode, representatives from Marquette's STEM and humanities communities will bring you insights into the pandemic that you may be missing. Marquette University is located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The traditional lands of Potawatomi, Ho-Chunk, and Menominee peoples along the southwest shores of Michigami, North America's largest system of freshwater lakes, where the Milwaukee, Menominee, and Kinnikinnick rivers meet and the people of Wisconsin's sovereign Anishabe, Ho-Chunk, Menominee, Oneida, and Mohican nations remain present. Welcome to another edition of COVID Conversations at Marquette University. I'm Samina Mullah. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Social and Cultural Sciences. And I'm really lucky today to have two guests with us, Jessica Pater and Cheyenne Guha, who are going to explain who they are to you next. Welcome to the podcast, Jessica. Hi, thank you. My name is Jessica Pater. I am the manager and a research scientist in health services and informatics research at the Parkview Research Center, which is an embedded research arm of the Parkview Health System in Indiana. It's nice to have you today. Thank you and for having me. Shia? Hi, I am Shayan Guha. I'm an assistant professor of computer science at Marquette University. My research program focuses on trying to understand how people make decisions from algorithms and data in an ethical way. So I think we have this wonderful combination of researchers on the episode today. And what we're going to have them talk about is the phenomena of the COVID long hauler. Now, I know a lot of us are familiar with COVID-19 as a kind of respiratory illness. That's a lot of what we heard about, coughing and shortness of breath. And we hear about people in the hospital on ventilators and getting all kinds of respiratory treatments. But that's changed a lot as we've gone month to month thinking about how COVID presents itself. So Jessica and Cheyenne are going to talk about how they have been collaborating to think about the particular challenges of the COVID long hauler. So I wanted to start off by asking how you came to be researching COVID long haulers. So back in early March, when COVID started creeping into from the coasts and towards the center of the country, I was asked by my the health system, the leadership in the health system, to start investigating what, how can we predict what our surge is going to be? How, how are we going to handle an onslaught of hundreds or thousands of patients at one time needing, needing health care, needing help? And I have worked with Dr. Guha in, in different ways within our community of our human computer interaction community. And I, knowing that he was in the region and knowing his, you know, vast, wonderful work, I reached out to say, hey, I've got a bunch of data. I've, I'm, you know, condensing down on uh, the different assumptions that would be needed for a model. Would you be interested in helping us, you know, really create a local data-driven model for our hospital system? And he said yes, and the rest is kind of history of, of us working together in this domain. But as the kind of months wore on throughout the pandemic, once we started getting into the summer, we uh, started seeing some different things within 
some of our social feeds. I know I had many friends starting to talk about having these like lingering, ongoing symptoms, reoccurring symptoms. So we we started looking at our own data to see if we were seeing readmissions, were we seeing, you know, increased utilization post an initial hospitalization for COVID. That's when Dr. Guha and I started discussing what what is this? How do we learn more about it? What's the research? Looking at that and it's kind of brought us to where we are today. So can you guys explain in more detail what a COVID long hauler is? So a COVID long hauler is a patient who has had a positive COVID-19 test. They may or may not have been hospitalized, but they are seeking some type of health healthcare support. What we're seeing is that from social media and a lot of the early press is that they aren't being hospitalized, but they're having onset of symptoms. The symptoms will, and most of those are, you know, fatigue, uh, muscle aches, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, a lot of vascular and muscular issues, not being able to bend down and touch your toes, having phantom pains and limbs, but none of this is enough to send you into an acute hospital setting where you're needing to be hospitalized or you're going into the ICU or on a vent. And these things are coming and going. You might be seeing new symptoms. You might see, you know, old symptoms reappear. And what What's denoting this is that it's not just this like one to three week acute illness, but it's something that we're seeing over three, five, six or seven months now from what we're we're seeing in reports. So it has a chronic persistence to the, the symptoms. Cheyenne, am I missing anything? Yeah, and to add to that, one of the funnier ways in which I heard about COVID long haulers is one of my favorite YouTube uh, cooking channels. The host actually had COVID-19 and then they said that they couldn't make any more videos because they had lost their sense of taste and spell, which is a, which is a pretty big one. And when, you know, because Jessica and I are prior friends, we have intersecting social media, we started seeing that we have some uh, long distance friends who are reporting these types of symptoms. And we thought that, oh, you know, you had COVID back in March and you didn't have too many symptoms and you were fine. And suddenly it seems like, you know what, I can't sleep at night. I have aches and pains in my body. And we soon realized that this is something that was starting to pop up, specifically with respect to social media. There is a hashtag on Twitter called hashtag long haul or hashtag COVID long haul that a lot of people are using to document their their experiences with this phenomenon. So if any of the listeners are interested, you can go to Twitter and click on hashtag COVID long haul and you will see all of these different people. In addition to that, there is a subreddit on Reddit slash our COVID long hauler. And that subreddit also has pictures and different posts about people who are taking advantage of social media to almost keep a diary of their symptoms and experiences with COVID. So suddenly the presence of social media in our lives is is helping us to understand what this phenomenon is because certainly there has not been any formal research done on this. Maybe there are ongoing projects that we may not know about because they're not published, but there isn't anything 
formal or any clinical trials or anything rigorously scientific beyond these types of self descriptions of people on social media. And now we can see that in the popular press in newspapers and television and radio, people are starting to talk about the, the presence of long haulers. I think, too, another really interesting component that's coming out of the social media discussions, especially on Reddit that I've seen, is people talking about how do you talk to your doctor about this without sounding crazy or hysterical or like feeling like you're a hypochondriac, right? Because you're, you're, is this just psychosomatic or is, are these like real symptoms that you're getting? So it, it's not, I think that, you know, the diary is a really important aspect of what we're seeing, but it's also this like real time support on how do you communicate this with the, with healthcare providers in a way that's going to get you the, the help that you need. And if I might point to that, I mean, there's a lot of literature on the biases that women and people of color face in seeking appropriate help from their medical providers, especially when something that is not documented as part of an underlying condition is expressed. These have real world severe implications for the ways in which our healthcare providers treat and manage emergent conditions. So we're seeing this occur in real time and there, there needs to to be a lot of takeaways from this. I can really underline and back up that it is a well-documented phenomena that um, women and people of color, you know, within the medical anthropology world are generally not taken seriously when they report the same symptoms as white male patients, or that they might, you know, they might provide the exact same narrative uh, when the clinician is taking a history, but it will be recorded in a different way. And you're absolutely right that in a situation where we're dealing with a novel virus, right, which means we don't know very much about it. And so our assumptions change, you know, almost daily in relationship to emergent data. There is this real danger, again, of dismissing symptoms, which we might attribute to mental health or anxiety-related issues, because there's plenty of anxiety-related issues also uh, injecting the pandemic landscape. So thanks for that. And I'm curious, because you started out saying that your earlier collaborations at the beginning of the pandemic were doing some modeling around surge capacities and thinking about those acute patients potentially overwhelming our healthcare systems, right, as, as, as we needed to do. And now you're thinking about ways to approach, you know, what is very evident in the social media feeds in a kind of systematic and aggregated way. So so what kind of a kind of data science question is it when we're now talking about how to how to see the long haulers in the hospital systems or or in other places? Maybe they don't show up in the hospital system in the same way. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So let me jump in on this one. So there's two points that I would like to make. The first point is that the emergent discovery of COVID long hauler symptoms on social media provided us with the uh, opportunity to think about translating what we're seeing as self, essentially self-reported diaries on social media 
to the clinical landscape. And hopefully Jessica can speak to that in a little bit. But I want to get to the second point, which is, you know, there's a lot of data science that underlies how clinicians and hospital administrators make decisions about facilities, capacities, resources, and, and decisions about individual patients. So every healthcare system has collects data, which is often protected by HIPAA privacy laws and, and stored and encrypted in very well-defined legal ways. But unfortunately, those well-defined legal ways often come with their own drawbacks because there are different ways in which we understand the emergence of new phenomenon is by comparing across patient records and by comparing not just across patient records, but also different modalities and different views of patients. So in most healthcare systems, there are dashboards that basically have these complex visualizations of patient conditions for clinicians, but there's also dashboards that have these complex visualizations of facilities and capacity planning and, and potential staffing planning. And this is for hospital administrators. So not only does there is there algorithmic and data-driven decision-making uh, for a doctor or for a nurse, for a clinician, but there's also data-driven decision-making on the part of hospital administrators. And so we need to understand that background in order to kind of talk a little bit about how does that relate to COVID long haulers. Shine, I we've indoctrinated you well into into our our needs and and pain points of the health system. So I, I think speaking more on the uh, that first point because I mean I have nothing to add. I I agree with everything you just said. You know the way that we have and I would state that probably most health systems are still in the kind of we need to understand our scarcest resources, which are ICU beds, ventilators the staffs that run those, the qualified staffs that run those. And those are, you know, when I look at my daily dashboard, that's what I'm seeing. How many hospitalized COVID do we have? What is our capacity from an ICU bed perspective, a general bed perspective? But there are other things. If I'm a law, if I'm, if I have, if I'm a chronic or if I'm a COVID long haul patient, I'm not gonna, I might not be in the hospital, but I might be at my primary care doctor who's referred me to get a scan of my of my legs because I'm having leg pain. So I'm I'm gonna be tying up a resource within imaging. I might be tying up resources within because I need to go and get vascular consults or neurological consults or gynecological consults, right? Like I'm still putting these un what we're kind of what we've colloquially been talking about in our group as these kind of hidden stressors, right? It's the it's those hid those um, buried costs of COVID on our health system that we aren't really looking at deeply just for lack of capacity because we're so in the middle of just when you get your hands around it, you see a surge. Just when you get your hands around something, you you don't have the you know testing substrate that you need, which which causes backlogs and delays. So it's a really complex systems problem, right, from the health system perspective. And you know, what we're looking at doing is understanding, are there other ways 
outside of these well-documented um, encounters, right, where I click on a button and I, I have something show up that shows that I'm COVID positive and here's the date of my test. But, you know, unstructured narrative notes are a huge component of what doctors review when they're trying to get a sense of their patient. And can we use sophisticated algorithms and, and machine learning processes to extract that data out and make it more accessible and actionable for, as Cheyenne mentioned, not just the provider, the clinician, but also those administrators that are making decisions that affect, I mean, for our system, we serve a population of just over a million people um, is our encapturement area. So, you know, the decisions that we make today have direct implications for our community and our region immediately. So having these letting the technology work harder for us and extract out what we need and give it to us in, in an accessible way, I think is going to be critical in in this marathon that is COVID, right? It's not just the sprint of, of what we've been doing the last six months, but, you know, as this unfolds and as we start seeing the different dimensions of the long-term impacts that this novel virus has on our on our bodies, I think that it's going to be really important to be able to have those like dynamic views of me as a patient as a whole, not just me as an encounter or me as a test result or something that I'm having to kind of, you know, look across all of these different components of, of the electronic health record uh, for as a provider specifically. So can I ask a question here? So let's say yeah, I know. We're all now paranoid about all of the symptoms and aches and pains we've had. But hypothetically speaking, um, let's say I haven't had any of the typical symptoms associated with but like let, that leg pain issue, right? And I go to my primary care provider and have that worked up and we don't come up with any answers. How would a health system see that? Like, would I turn up as a data point or is that the challenge right now? You know, getting all of those different kinds of provider visits and patient clinician interactions, like where does that turn up in the kind of work that you're trying to do? So there's a couple of ways that that turns up. First is if you are, if you do have a COVID positive test and it's in your electronic health record, that's the easiest way, right? Because it's documented that you were positive and then there's things that we can do based on that knowledge. Where it gets tricky is for people who are asymptomatic and who've never been tested, but have had this and might have, might have had COVID and might potentially be having these new or, or differing symptoms, you know, months down the road that they can't attribute to anything. That's I think where like the real hard part comes both from the clinical perspective as well as from the data science perspective. So, wow, that is really challenging because I could easily see how you might be asymptomatic or only have these other neurological vascular kinds of symptoms and then test COVID negative, right? I mean, it's, it's quite possible. I could even imagine healthcare systems where, um, not my doctor certainly, but where the clinicians wouldn't know that leg pain might be an indicator for to recommend a COVID test, either an antibody test or something else. So it sounds like even if we're trying to get our hands on the data, the actual landscape is shifting and very challenging. So how do you move forward? 
All right. So there's a there's a few different ways, right? So one of the things that I wanted to talk about is the work that Jessica and I are doing right now. So when we first started working, we were looking at acute COVID patients. And in those dark days in in March and April, we were having, you know, that we had our hands full. Then when we started realizing that, uh, you know, there's this this slow emergence of COVID long haulers, we decided that this merits further investigation. Moreover, we, you know, all of these issues that we talked about in how patient encounters happen in a system and also how data-driven decision-making happens in healthcare systems, realized that this more rigorously because there is the question of how a patient encounters different specialists within the healthcare system or across healthcare systems, but also what types of decisions are made by individual providers when a patient comes to them. So when you go to your provider and say that, hey, you know what, I've got this leg pain, you're likely going to a different uh, provider when, when you talk about your lack of, let's say, taste or smell, because there are different doctors and they specialize in different things. So COVID long haul turns out to be this pernicious problem where you've got these very, very disparate symptoms. And if you go to individual providers for each of these symptoms, you're not going to get the right answer. They may not, may not be able to kind of put all the missing pieces together. So we thought that maybe one way in which these missing pieces can be put together is if we develop a data-driven system that can nudge different providers as well as hospital administrators to make these better data-driven decisions. So the first thing that we are doing going forward immediately is we are going to do an exhaustive clinical chart review of all of these various symptoms. And, uh, you know, I'll let Jessica speak to that component a little bit, but I want to touch on uh, something else that she pointed out in her previous comment, which is that um, in addition to specific tags or uh, checkboxes in a patient's electronic health records, there are these exhaustive narrative notes written by clinicians about patients. And in data science, we've developed sophisticated ways of kind of analyzing all of these different narrative notes and trying to see what bubbles up from underneath. Are there latent conditions that we can understand from exhaustive patient narratives that may not be perceivable at first sight? So that's one aspect. And then perhaps Jessica can speak to the other aspect about chart reviews. Sure. Yeah. No, I, one of the things that we saw early on was that the reporting out for the, uh, of the uh, analysis tools in the EHR was just, it, they were missing certain data, certain key data that we felt was important. And some of it just didn't seem right based on what we were seeing in charts. So we, since day one of COVID at, at Parkview, have been every day doing comprehensive manual chart reviews of all of our COVID positive hospitalized patients, capturing their movements around the, the health system, within the health system, the, their dates of testing, their comorbidities, um, different aspects of, of what that looks like. What we haven't been doing is doing the follow-up of looking at the patients that we have or the patients 
that have been hospitalized or the patients that haven't been hospitalized but have had a positive test in the system and seeing what their what their interactions within the health system has looked like beyond the test or beyond that hospitalization. So that's something that it's really important to, we have a group of clinical research nurses that do this for us every day that are fantastic and really looking and understanding how some of the things that are taking place in the hospital system might be deviating and bringing that to our attention and, and kind of pushing our thoughts and pushing us to share with with our administrators, you know, some of the the emerging things that we're seeing and some of the things where we're seeing deviations from what's being reported out in in research or in popular press. So we've been able to validate our model assumptions very well through that and and have, you know, we are in line with what we're seeing across the country in some ways. And then we have some differences that are, you know, regional that you would expect that we're seeing play out as well. So I think that, you know, the having that type of expertise and actually going through those records is important because we don't know what we don't know. And if we're just putting bad data into these models and into the into our data science tools, we're just going to get bad outputs or or not as best the not the best outputs possible. So I think that you know making sure that that data is as good as we can get it to be is a critical component and something that we've been doing and are going to continue doing. Right, and to off that. Development a well-documented and validated data set of COVID long haulers is indeed the biggest challenge because once we're able to do that, and that'll take up significant amounts of time if we are to do this properly, because every day it seems like we're seeing emergences of new symptoms. And so then the question that might arise, for instance, and I'm being speculative here, are there different kinds of COVID long hauler patients? Are there certain clusters of symptoms that, that appear in certain types of long hauler patients as opposed to other ones? And to be clear, uh, clinicians have not studied this in detail. So we actually, we speculate that there's some underlying neurological effect that COVID is having, but we actually don't know what you know, that COVID, what actually is going on under the hood. So the next step after developing this validated data set is to actually uh, design and build a system that can help clinicians and hospital administrators make these decisions. In a sense, that's actually the easiest step. Bad, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So if we're putting bad data, anything that we do is bad. So that's why we are focusing on the development of this data set first, because we know how to develop models and systems generally for clinician decision support. And sure, do we have to understand what their design needs are, so on and so forth? Yes, we do. But that's very typical human computer interaction research. Jessica and I have been doing it for over 10 years. So then the question is not that. The question is what is going into the system, because we need to serve the COVID long hauler patients. And to the best of our knowledge, and maybe other people are doing this, but to the best of our knowledge, we are not aware of any other group that's trying to accomplish this 
problem, this particular situation, because we think that it's not enough to diagnose what the underlying neurological issues are. I mean, certainly that's important, but from a more complex socio-technical perspective, patients do not exist in vacuum, and we need to understand what these long-term implications are. The final point that I want to make here is that a lot of even acute COVID research has focused on large urban areas or along the West Coast or the East Coast. And there has been a dearth of research also on acute COVID patients in more rural and suburban areas, especially in the Midwest. The catchment area that Parkview uh, Health System um, supports uh, is not a densely populated urban area. In fact, it's more of a rural, exurban, some suburban area centered around Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, and so those types of populations have actually not been studied. So in a sense, we're also trying to contribute to that, to, to, to even the odds of what research has been done in COVID as well. And speaking from like the, from the health care perspective, you know, our doctors want to give the best treatment, the best care possible to every patient every day. And, you know, the, they're on, you know, being on the front lines and dealing with what they're dealing with, it's very stressful. And they, they are, you know, in desperate need of tools to help support them uphold that oath that they get that they give as as clinicians to you know support every patient in the ways that they need to be supported and to deliver the best care that they can and i think that you know what Cheyenne and i have been outlining really talks to how do we support our providers our frontline workers i mean ppe is you know we give them ppe we give them these other things but we also need to be giving them good data, real, real-time real actionable data that they can make those decisions on to help, you know, support individuals that are not just acute in the hospital, but showing up in and across our health system in this kind of decentralized, you know, non-predictive way so that they also feel that, you know, that not only are we supporting those acute patients, but that all of our patients, regardless, are, are getting the treatment that they need. The way in which, you know, health systems have been focused on COVID has come out of a necessity. But I think what we're starting to see is people are, health systems are getting their hands around dealing with what we've had now and starting to really start preparing for that next step, which is the movement into the that kind of chronic ongoing aspect, but then also having to potentially deal with secondary and third waves of, of that acute. So I think that a lot of the health systems that, you know, we collaborate and work with, these are common discussions being had around incident command groups is how do we, how do we maintain our readiness for continuing waves, especially now that we're coming into flu season, which is just going to exacerbate problems even more. But how do we start getting ready to deal with the ongoingness of what COVID and and the and what we don't know <laughs> that is still evolving from this novel virus? Thank you so much. This really sounds like a pressing issue that needs a really careful look in order for us to navigate you know, not just these 
emergency modalities that we've been in, but really thinking about what it's going to mean to live in a world where COVID-19 is just, it's part of our day-to-day life, right? Even if the pandemic version of COVID fades away, I think we're going to be living with this disease, this virus, for a really long time, and maybe a a set of diseases that it, it brings about. And just to maybe end on a note where you can point us towards, you know, what we need to be paying attention to when it comes to this issue of of COVID long haulers. So one thing I would recommend, whether you have a COVID-19 diagnosis or not, because we know so many people are asymptomatic, is that if you start feeling or, or having symptoms that are out of the norm or unexplainable to you, just like we our friends on Reddit and Twitter are doing, take take note, document, keep a diary of, of, of symptoms you're having. You know, if, if you're having tinnitus type symptoms like ringing in your ears or you're missing periods and, you, and it's unexplained why, or you're having different nerve sensations or even something as simple as having foggy thoughts or having sleep disturbances. These are all things that we've seen reported associated with the COVID long callers. So, you know, just being a good steward to your to yourself and your own health by documenting things that are outside of the norm for you. That way you have something to go back to because you might not remember that you were having that problem six months from now when you're having another problem flare up or reoccur, right? So I think documentation of that is is really key. Yeah, and if I might add, I would encourage people who are interested in learning about COVID long haulers to go to Twitter Again, hashtag COVID long haul, or there's another hashtag called long COVID, and I'm sure you're going to find uh, a lot of very interesting stories by people. And if you're looking uh, for detailed, uh, even more detailed stories beyond 280 characters, uh, there's the Reddit subreddit called uh, slash r COVID long haul. And you can read all about this particular emerging phenomenon uh, before it hits the national consciousness. Thank you both so much for your time today and for this really important work. It's been a pleasure to speak with you, Cheyenne Guha uh, of Marquette University at the Department of Computer Science and Jessica Pater from the Parkview Research Center in Indiana. I hope everybody does follow up and check out some of those hashtags that you've been. Thank you for listening to COVID Conversations. Thank you for listening to this episode of COVID Convos. You can learn more about this podcast and the research being done at Marquette University by visiting the Research and Innovation website at marquette.edu. You can reach the podcast via email at covidconvos at marquette.edu. Music for this episode is Phase 2 by Zylo Zyko.